verse 30. But this morning, okay, John chapter 8 and verse 30 is where we're going to start. So what we're going to be doing this morning is I'm going to go ahead and apologize to you up front. We're going to be turning through quite a few passages this morning. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through the Gospels and going to the words of Jesus where he talks about or directly addresses what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to be that? And so today, the, um, so the title of the message this morning is called The Marks of a Disciple. Some things that we really need to consider whenever we want to call ourselves to be a disciple of Jesus or a follower. Now, just by way of definition, the word disciple means someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself to the discipline or the teaching of that leader or way of life. Biblically speaking, you could say someone who follows Jesus Christ and his way of life and submits himself to the teachings of Jesus and his way of life. So that is what the definition of a disciple is. But what are the marks of a disciple? What are some things that we need to do as far as like a checklist to see if we are qualified as calling ourselves a disciple? Now, the first thing that I want us to see is it's going to be is that there is a difference between just a believer and a disciple. Okay, there is a difference and there is a differentiation made. Even Jesus makes that differentiation here in John chapter 8, starting in verse 30. Now, what does he say in John chapter um, 8 and verse 30? He says, and he spoke these words, many believed him. So, so what he has done is he's got converts who have trusted in Jesus, trusted in him. And in verse 31, it says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, if... You abide in my work, then you are my disciples indeed. So a believer has the qualifications. Obviously, you have to be a believer to be a disciple. But what he is saying here is that as a believer, if you're going to be considered to be one of his disciples, one who follows him and follows his teachings, you must continue in his word. So just because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because at the point where we repented of our sins and trusted the work that he did on Calvary, doesn't mean that we are actually a disciple. How many of you know someone who's backslidden? Not a disciple, okay? Not a disciple, not someone who is following Jesus, not someone who has adopted the lifestyle that Jesus prescribes for his children, but it may be backslidden, okay? Or maybe not meeting all of the check marks that we're going to be talking about here this morning. But there's a differentiation. So I want you to have an understanding that, that believers, if we want to become a disciple, it requires, first of all, that we continue in the words of Jesus. And in doing this, it gives us a great benefit as we can just continue to read just a little bit. It says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, to know the truth, what John is talking about here is for you to experience the truth. Now, how do we experience the truth? You continue in his word, just like Jesus was talking about in verse 31. It says, says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth or experience the truth. How? By continuing in His Word on a day-to-day practice, by committing your lives to practicing the teachings of Jesus, you can experience the truth, and the truth will truly set you free. 
Now, to be free in this, in this sense is not to live selfishly by doing what you want and whenever you want. It's by living a disciplined life and a godly lifestyle that will drive you to make, make decisions and choices that will benefit you in God's kingdom rather than hurt you. It'll remove you from the bondage of sin. It'll keep you out of the sinful lifestyle. And Jesus said this in verse 34. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to it. So that's what it's talking about here. It's like if we will abide in the words of Jesus, abide in what the Word of God tells us, then we are His disciples. But someone who, who's a believer, who doesn't follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, is not a disciple. Because he's saying, he says to those who believed Him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. Does that make sense? All right, let's jump to the next one. Or the next one is in Luke chapter 14. And I didn't even flag my Bible, so, I'm, so whenever I'm turning, that gives you time as well. All right, so in Luke chapter 14, in verse 26, let's go ahead and jump back to verse 25. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, what does he say? He cannot be my disciple. Now, what does this word hate mean? You know, I had to, I had to do some research. I had to look at this. But in, this, but in, but in Jesus' time, where this was written, to hate a person legally was to decisively reject any claim that one might have on a portion of an estate, uh, a portion of an estate to give to another heir. So in these relationships, basically what he is saying, if you're allowing any relationship, even these blood relations that we are seeing here, if you have a relationship that rivals or even supersedes the priority of your relationship in Jesus Christ, guess what? You cannot be a disciple. Jesus Christ, your relationship with Him and the fellowship that you have, it must supersede all relationships, all ambitions, all drives, all desires. You must put Him number one. He must be on the throne of your life or you cannot be a disciple. I mean, it's just very plainly put there um, in, in the words in red and white. And if you allow these relationships to lay a claim on you that rivals your relationship with Christ or anything, I mean, it could be a job, I mean, it could be, um, it could be um, you know, ambitions that we have, but anything that will rival that relationship is an idol, and we must offer it up if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Him should hold number one position in every single area. And in this, um, number two if you're taking notes, you must count the cost of being a disciple. Is there a cost in following Jesus Christ in the world in which we live today? Absolutely. Look at the lives of the apostles. What did it cost them? Everything. Everything. Their livelihood. All of, all of them were either banished or they were put to death according to tradition because they followed Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he gave up everything, a, a position of power, money, and he gave it all and forsook all and followed Jesus. So there is a cost when it comes to following Jesus. A lot of us will not have to pay the price that, 
you know, that the apostles did or the early church fathers did. But however, if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must go against the grain in this world in many different areas, and it will cost something. And if you're not willing to pay the price for it, guess what? You cannot be a disciple. We cannot allow anything to rival what God's will is in our lives. Looking at verse 28, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. We must understand that there is a cost to discipleship. Now, I have a it's, it's, not, it's kind of a funny story, but it's not really a funny story. Whenever I was um, the youth pastor in, um, in Bogalusa, Louisiana, I had this young man, let's say he was, I, I think he's around probably 18 or 19, maybe 20 years old, but he was coming to our youth, um, our, our youth on Wednesday nights and Sundays. He was actually attending. I think he was attending for the girls, but however, he was still attending, right? And I, was fr- I had gotten familiar with his lifestyle, and, you know, it really wasn't a good one. But I do remember the night that I sat down with him, and I believe it was at church camp, or it may have been in my office. I don't remember, but I recall with, with tear-filled eyes, he made a decision to trust Christ as his personal Savior. And I was very thankful that he, that he had done that. And, um, but, however, I, I got him scheduled to be baptized, I think a week or two later, but I sat down with him. And I said, I said look, I said, I'm glad that you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior. I said, but I am familiar with your lifestyle the way it has been. I said, and I gave him a copy of the church covenant because it kind of explains the lifestyle that's required of those who join the church and want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And I, and I explained to him that, you know, his lifestyle should be changing. He shouldn't be doing these things, but actually he should be doing these good things. He needs to get rid of the bad and replace it with the good. And once I outlined the expectations of a follower of Jesus, even after I had him scheduled for baptism, he never showed up again. The only thing I can imagine is he counted the cost and he says, it's not worth it. Yeah, but there is a cost. It's a very, I told you it's kind of funny, but it, it is sad. I mean, it truly is a sad, a sad situation. But Jesus is saying here, it's like, look, if you want to come after him, says, anyone who comes to me and has a relationship that's stronger than the one that it is with me, even with yourself, you cannot be my disciple. You can be a believer, but a true follower of Jesus Christ a disciple of Jesus Christ has no rival to the relationship with the Savior. In verse 27, it says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, just down a little bit further, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be a disciple. So it requires a cost. If you want to follow Jesus, the old life has got to pass away. You have to allow the new man to, to shine through. You have to allow God to be the governing, um, the governing effect of your lives. You must live by the Word of God, not by our own thoughts or our own desires. You must count the cost. If you want to be a, be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it requires a price to pay, and are you willing to pay that price? But let's continue to count the cost. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9, just a few pages back. In Luke chapter 9, what we see here, again, in verse 23, it says, Then he said to them all, who's he speaking to? Who's the them? 
Well, if we go back to verse 18, we will see that his disciples had joined him. And these are the people to whom he is speaking. So in the context of this, whenever, whenever we see verse 23, it says, And he said to them all, you can say what he said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For anyone who desires to come after me. How many of you have a desire to truly follow Jesus? Okay, we got three or four. Okay, great. But however, I mean, I believe that the heart of all believers is to truly follow Jesus Christ, but sometimes the cost is too much, or we think the cost is too much, or we think that the, that the outcome is not really as good as what we can get over here. But we all have that desire to truly follow Him, and we all should have that desire to follow Him, especially someone who came from heaven down to earth as a man to give His life a ransom for all of us to pay our sin debt, to make us pass from death unto life, and give us a home with Him for eternity by forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. We should want to follow that kind of a guy. So if you have that desire, Jesus is saying here, says, anyone who has that desire to come after me and to follow me, let him do what? Deny himself. That's what we must have an understanding. So this is part of the cost of discipleship is you must deny yourself. You know, to come after God, I believe, I believe it's God's intention for all believers, for all believers to come into a right relationship, but for all believers to become discipled um, and, to resemble, and to resemble the very picture of who His Son Jesus Christ is. As cliche as this may sound, it is your destiny, okay? It is your destiny to become Christ-like. It is your destiny to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. For all people, for all times, and all places, that's the very will of God for each and every person. It's for them to come into a right relationship and become a disciple. <coughs> but we must deny ourselves in order for that to happen. Now, what is self-denial? Okay, I want you to understand here what it's not first. Self-denial is not a self-rejection, okay? It doesn't mean that we wallow around in a self-loathing, hateful attitude towards ourselves. That's not, that's not it at all. Because Jesus loves you very, very, very much. So why would you hate something that Jesus loves so much, all right? So it's not about self-loathing. It's not about saying how terrible of a person that you are as far as being self-denial. But what it is, is it's for us to make, uh, to have an understanding that Jesus loves us and that in order for us to, um, to deny ourselves, we must deny ourselves the, the desires that we possibly could want that would actually rival what Jesus wants in our lives. This is what somebody said here. He said, self-denial is important in discipleship. It means to deny every rooted, everything rooted in the old life. It means to deny and to reject the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You must reject that. Now, if we're going to do what Jesus is calling us to do, it says to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You can't take up your cross and you can't follow him without denying yourself. You can't hold on to the sinful things of the world and follow Jesus at the same time. And though I know we all have sinful desires, we all have things that want to pull us away from Christ that are actually enticing to us, and that's really the only reason we commit those things. 
It's because we want to. Nobody makes you do anything that you don't want to do. So whenever it comes to committing sin, we do so because we're enticed and we're drawn to it. But it's in those times that we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross and follow Him. We don't follow the desires of our heart that pull us away from a good relationship with Jesus Christ. You must deny yourself of those things and do what Christ wants. It's about doing things His way rather than doing things the way that we think that they should be done. To take up the cross and follow Him. Now, there's a, there's a real easy illustration of what that might look like. Have any of you married couples ever had an argument with your spouse? Okay, we haven't either. Okay, but this is hypothetical. Okay, completely hypothetical. How many of you have really argued over something completely foolish? Okay, all right, very good. I see no husbands raising their hands. Okay. And how many of you, after that foolish argument over something so pity and petty, think, well, I probably, it's probably right for me to apologize. Okay, even fewer men raise their hands. Okay. But in that, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you know that you should go make it right, especially with your spouse. But how many of you had this thought and didn't do it? Okay, very good. Now, in order for us to deny ourselves and be a follower of Jesus, in that scenario, even if the other person had their fair share in it, or even a little bit more, and you feel maybe that person should apologize to you first before you go apologize to them, I know that's happened, right? Then you must deny yourself of that selfish pride, pick yourself up, follow Jesus, and just apologize for your part in it. And that's really what denying yourself is. Now, that can come in many different flavors and colors and different areas of life. But however, that's what self-denial is. It's like it's putting your selfish pride aside and following and doing what the right thing is, regardless of how we may feel about it. But if we do try to hold on to our old life and we don't deny ourselves when it comes to doing this, listen to what he says in verse 24. It says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? In trying to save your old life, what are you going to lose? You're going to lose the potential life that Christ has for you. I believe that God's got big plans for every single one of us. And if they're not played out according to what God sees in your future, we have nobody else to blame but ourselves. And if it doesn't play out to where God wants to bring us, it's because we have failed to deny ourselves and to put His will above our own. So we have to understand, if we want to be a disciple, in verse 23... He says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must, the, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. All right, number four, Matthew chapter 9. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. Now, we're not, we're not on these passages, we're not exhaustively going through them. I just want to touch on the points about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. And uh, we'll, we'll be going back to these things in the next few weeks. But in Matthew chapter 9, let me get there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Matthew. All right. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 36. 
But the first thing I want to say is that um, on this, this is another check mark, another quality, is a disciple is a soul winner. A disciple is someone who preaches the gospel. What, what did Jesus say to Peter, James, and John whenever he called them to be a disciple? I will make you fishers of men. You will no longer fish for fish, but you're going to be a fisher of men. Come and follow me, is what he had said. Now, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 30, let's go ahead and start in verse 35. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel in, of the kingdom, so it shows what they were doing, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when God, but whenever he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In verse 37, and then he said to who? His disciples. All right, his disciples were preaching the gospel. They were teaching along with him in the synagogues. They were doing what they were doing. They were following Jesus Christ. They were there as he saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion. And then he turns to his disciples who are with him, right? And if they are with him, they're obviously following him, correct? So now we have the proper context as we go into verse 37. And, he, and it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. Now, going into this, who's praying for help in the harvest? Who is Jesus instructing to pray to, for them to come into the harvest? I preached on this, I believe it's couple months ago. He's talking to his disciples. Disciples are already followers of Jesus, right? And disciples are soul winners. So, these, so the disciples are already engaged in the harvest, are they not? They're already engaged in that, and he's telling those who are actively working, those who are actively preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, to pray that God will send in more laborers. This is not a prayer that someone who's not a follower of Jesus, who's not a soul winner, who doesn't preach the kingdom of God to the lost and dying world is instructed to pray, right? Now, he's, he's telling the disciples, followers of Jesus, pray for help. Pray for more bodies to get involved. If we are not involved in soul winning, if we're not a true disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to be kind of hypocritical for us to say, God, I need you to send more laborers into the harvest if you're not already there, right? So it's kind of, so it's kind of like standing in a room full of atheists and you're the only guy, and you say, well, you know, somebody should really preach them the gospel. What do you think about that scenario? Like, then you actually need to have a, 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 renewed, a renewed thinking and say, well, I am here. I need to preach the gospel. And if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, praying this prayer can be done uh, not hypocritically. But someone who is not involved in the ministry of preaching the gospel and reaching the world and being an active soul winner, this is the, 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 the prayer that needs to be said, Lord, send me, here I am. That's the prayer that needs to be done for those who are not the disciple. So a disciple truly is a soul winner. One who, one who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number five. It's found in John chapter 13. John 
John chapter 13 and verse 34. We are instructed to love one another as Christ loves. Let's look in verse 34. In verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This was the command that he was giving to his disciples, or the people who wanted to be his disciples, is that they are to love like Christ loves. It's not about loving who you want to or how you want to, but it's about a sacrificial giving love that doesn't require anything in return. So what does that look like? Well, if we look to John's writings again, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just go ahead and read it, but at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, this, it says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, he does, he, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. So the example of what love, loving one another is, is exactly what Jesus said. I want you to love as I have loved you. Now, what's, what's the result of this? Verse 35, it says, By this all will know that you are what? My disciples. Disciples, true followers of Jesus, will love sacrificially. They will love without expecting anything in return or demanding anything in return. It's something that we freely give to one another. Do you have to like someone to love them? No, absolutely not. No. Do they have to do something for you for you to show love to them? Absolutely not. I mean, the example that's given here is the fact that Jesus Christ came down to earth for our benefit. Again, the same, same thing I've said many times, but what benefit do we give God by becoming His children? Do we make Him any better? No. No. He's an infinite, all-powerful, sovereign God who needs nothing. He doesn't need your relationship, but the fact that He desires it is one thing. He desires your relationship. But He was even willing to die for people He knew would reject Him, but He still extended love to Him. Now, for all the world to know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ requires that type of love for one another. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then it requires that type of sacrificial giving to the people around us. You must love one another. Love as Christ loved. As, as the, in the passage we just read, whenever he looked at the multitudes, remember he was moved with compassion. His heart was not mad or angry looking at the world the way it was, but he was moved with compassion, and he wanted more people to go out and work that harvest. So whenever he comes back, he has a greater harvest whenever, um, upon his return. So the love that we need to display is one that is displayed by our very Savior in Jesus Christ. Or... We can't be his disciple. We must understand that loving like that is required in order for the world to know that we are his disciples. That's the kind of label that we need to have as a follower of Jesus Christ. And lastly, Matthew chapter 28, very familiar. 
Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, which are the disciples, saying, All authority is, is, uh, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. One is not a disciple until he is a disciple maker. Okay? A disciple is a disciple maker. This was meant to be a cyclical thing where, where we bring up disciples and those disciples bring up more disciples and it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Now, as a disciple, when he's saying this to them, when he's giving them this commission, this commission is coming from the highest authority of the entire known universe, of all creation above anything, but it's coming from Jesus Christ himself, and he's saying to his disciples to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Our, our very priority should be teaching um, teaching people to be more like Jesus. In verse 20, verse 20, it says that we must teach them to observe the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. But notice baptism is not the end of it, is it? Getting someone converted, whether it might be an event or on a Sunday morning or in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or at camp, it says baptizing them in the name and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe the things that I have taught you. Discipleship doesn't stop at church membership and baptism. We must continue to pour into new converts. We must continue to pour into one another in order to disciple each other, hold each other accountable to the teachings of Jesus Christ. We are disciples once we become disciple makers. And I believe it's every responsibility for every husband to be involved in discipling his wife. I believe it's, it's the job of every set of parents to just make sure that their children are discipled. And I believe it's the job of the church to make sure that we disciple the young generation if there's nobody in their house that will do it. We must pour into people the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of Christ, in order for them to abide in Jesus Christ and abide in his word so they can be a disciple too. And we don't stop pouring into these people until they do what? Are actively making disciples themselves. We should be pouring into people and making them disciples. So in the few things that we've covered this morning, as we prepare for a time of invitation, now I've kind of given a checklist or qualities of a disciple here. And they are the first thing is to realize it's different than just being a believer. Just because you're a church member and, and, you, and, you, and, and, um, and you have a relationship with Christ, the qualifications go a little bit further than that if we're going to say that we are true followers of Jesus. But also being a, a disciple, it, it requires a cost. There is a cost of discipleship. There's a cost that we must pay. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to pay the cost of denying yourself? Are you willing to put in the effort in order to learn how to be a better soul winner and that you can bring people to Christ? Are you willing to love the way that Christ loves? And are you willing to pay the cost of the time required and effort to disciple the people around you. As we stand and we prepare for this time of invitation, if you found an area that you need to improve on, 
If you have that desire that Jesus was talking about, that desire to come after Him, to follow Him, and you need to make a decision to deny yourself and pay the cost in areas that you are not willing to in the past, then let's get that right with Him today. Let's all strive to be a follower of Jesus Christ.
All right, you may be seated. All right, some, we have some exciting news. Are you ready? Yeah, come on. All right, she's been struggling with the decision that she had made for Christ and, and has realized that she was not a true believer or follower of Jesus Christ. And this morning, in our little holy huddle here, she received Christ as her personal Savior. So she got it right this morning. So. <laughs> and so... So we want to join. We want to join in. Um, uh, we're gonna. We're gonna wait to take a vote on church membership. She wants to talk with mom and dad about that first and get all that cleared out. But let's definitely give her a right hand of fellowship this morning. You know, you know, thanking God for the decision that was made here this morning, and um, and giving Him honor and glory. Any word or announcement before we dismiss? All right, let's all stand. Brother Kenny Black, would you close in a word of prayer, please?